Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. It's a sunfish, Jay. Stop calling the police. They're busy arresting your friends for throwing hands in the parking lot at the Cumberland Farms. I'm going to go with... Murder Hut. B. One medieval theory suggested that eels were the transmogrified forms of the bastard children of priests and married women fleeing persecution through shape-shifting. And remember, the only appropriate gift response to anything by the Coogan Squad is Jesus healing the sick. Bent! Good morning, degenerate anglers. Welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that heckles rent-a-cops but respects the real cops. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte. And even though I have been handcuffed and placed in the back of squad cars <laughs> twice, I have never technically been arrested. <laughs> oh, dear. I feel like I'm going to lose street cred here, but uh, neither have I. I've not been arrested nor uh, ridden in a cop car, which I feel like is a, is a young man's rite of passage. But uh I do still chuckle with a few friends about a party I was at, raided by the cops. That's the closest I can come. And uh, I had a buddy that used to get off on um, going to house parties and hiding perishable items throughout the house. You know what I mean? Like take Mm. the bologna out of the fridge and drop it in a box of cornflakes. Oh, no. And uh, (laughs) as this very upset officer was lecturing a room full of drunk kids, he looks up and there's a giant Polish sausage hanging from the chandelier, dangling like an inch above his head. (laughs) And the whole room just lost it, and uh, you know he was just he was he was just more upset though. So that's that's my cop story. Uh, uh, that, that's a good image. I feel bad for that guy. Oh mm. man, yeah, what a terrible terrible job breaking up kids' house parties, and they could be doing Agreed. real work. <laughs> uh, speaking of police, this podcast is fueled by Black Rifle Coffee, and besides supporting original fishing podcasts, Black Rifle also supports local police. Proceeds from their Thin Blue Line series go to law enforcement officers and their families in need. Yeah, Black Rifle's Coffee Club keeps us caffeinated even when we forget to stop at the store on our way back from fishing. Super convenient. Just head on over to blackriflecoffee.com backslash meat eater. 
Let them know what you like, and they make sure you're steadily stocked. And just like this podcast, those guys represent the whole country. Their two eastern and western regional roasting facilities ensure that your beans are always fresh, man. Use the discount code MEATEATER at checkout, and they'll take 20% off your first order, which is very nice of them. It is. It is. And uh, I'm drinking some coffee right now, and it is. It's delicious. Just going just gonna to admit that. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Before we dig into the show, Joe, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta talk something through with you. I had this experience last week, and and I just can't shake it. And I just, I just want to see what what your take on it is. All right, so lay it on me. We'll get all psychological on you. Yeah, let's see if we can break this one down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Doctor Joe, I went fishing mm-hmm. with some friends, uh, and we were on the Madison. This is last week, and it was one of those days where everything was just kind of lining up, right? Yeah. We had we had that fall light that we get out here, and, and the hills were just glowing gold. Mm, uh, beautiful. It was really nice. The fish were super active. They were eating on the surface. They were eating subsurface. They were just on the chow. It was one of those days. It was great. Right. Uh, and so we're fishing. So far, out of my, so good. I don't. I don't see the problem yet. <laughs> so far, so good. We're fishing out of my boat. So, you know, even though it's, it's, it's the cool season and the water was very cold, I was not wearing waders because I had no okay. intention of getting out of that boat. We were boat fishing, you know? So yeah. we're anchored up on this mid-river spot and I hook a fish, a couple head shakes, and it comes to the surface and rolls and I get a good look at it. It's like a solid two-foot trout, maybe a little bigger. Mm. It, was a, it was a big fish, right? It was definitely the biggest fish of the day. Okay. And then as soon as it rolls, it takes off downstream right mid-current and like I'm, I'm, I'm into my backing on the first run, which almost okay. never happens with trout, right? Like this yeah, is a good exactly. fish. So exactly. I know in this moment what I need to do. I need to just hurdle my ass over the gunnel right into the middle of that cold ass river and chase the fish down, right? Like I, I have to be swimming and splashing. I, I have to like get that fish and no matter what. Okay. All right. I, there was no time in this situation <laughs> for me to wait for my buddy to pull the anchor and chase him down, right? Like I got this fish on a small hook. It's on light line. And I'm, I've done this plenty of times. I know what's about to happen. Fish that big, that much current, that much line out. It's either going to break off, straighten the hook, or pull free. And, and it's going to happen in any second. So sure. I'm standing there. Been there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, like there's yep. no confusion as to what's about to happen. So I'm standing there, I'm watching the last turns of line come off my reel. And I'm like having this conversation with myself in my head. I'm like, jump, jump in, do it. You're going <laughs> to lose this fish. Go get it. Jump. But I, I just stood there like having this internal battle with myself. Like I didn't want to spend the rest of the day soaking wet and freezing my ass off. Uh-huh. I get but that. I also didn't want to lose this really good fish because yep. Because just because I'm too soft to deal with a little discomfort, and this is the the battle, like the tension that's raging in my head as I watch the last couple of turns come off the reel and go, I'm about to lose this fish. Like I know that there was a time when I would have not even thought about it. Like yep. I just would have gone over the side of the boat. Yep. I'm in the water. I'm getting the fish. <laughs> me too. <laughs> like I, I <laughs> I'm sacrificing my body. That fish is coming to me. I don't care what it takes. Like I'll swim, but I didn't do that. And now I'm left wondering, like, what changed hmm. for in me? Like, do I, is it that I care less about catching fish than I used to? Like, do I have less to prove to myself or the world? I, I, like, am I just getting lame? Hmm. Am hmm. I getting smarter? I, I honestly can't figure it out and it has been messing with my head ever since. I'm going to help you. I'm about to please, help you right now. Please. Okay. I'll, I'll bill you my hourly rates. Would this have been the biggest trout you ever caught? 
No, God, no. I mean, it was a really nice fish. Like, it was a very big fish. It was a legitimately large fish from Montana. But no, I'm very lucky. I've caught a lot of big trout. It would not have been my biggest. Okay. Okay. There you go. Okay. So, I think the decision was subliminally made based on experience, right? Because oh. you and I, hear me so out. So, you think I'm getting smarter. Uh, yeah. 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 Kind of, right? You and I are both lucky enough to have caught lots of fish in lots of places, right? As an example, like I'm not willing to freeze my ass off and diving in after like a 20-inch brown, okay? Probably not even a 22. So unless at, at this point I was convinced like this is the biggest brown I've ever hooked, a true yeah. milestone, you know what I mean? Yeah. I look at it like, dude, I, I've done my time in terms of freezing and soaking over the years. So oh, yeah. If I lose the 2022, like I'll, you know, good chance I will stick another one of those, you know? So this one, this one's going to get away for, for my comfort. However, um, I mean, you know, if you're one of those people that only gauges the value of a trip uh, by what you have to show for it on Instagram, it's a different story. No, and you're not one, you're not one of those people, you know? No, right? no, but I'm we know somebody, we know somebody who is, who is that person. Oh, don't know. <laughs> we have to. Don't, don't do it. Yeah, we have to. Oh, Ugh. yes, we're, we're going to do it. Now, listen, uh, we've heard from a number of you about our inclusion of internet sensation Lance V in our podcast. And, uh, man, I got to tell you, it reeks of current American politics because, man, you guys are staunchly divided. There is no middle ground for Only Lance. two camps. Two Lance right. camps. We are learning it is those camps are either love or hate. There is yeah. no middle. And um, I know where I <laughs> sit, by the way. <laughs> We've kind of thoroughly been enjoying some of the hates, though, right? Because they say shit like <laughs> That's true. Lance needs to go. And if you're actually paying this idiot, I feel bad for you. So <laughs> listen, we're listening to you guys. OK, we're absorbing your feedback and, and we've decided to change up the Lance format a bit. Uh, and we're only going to focus on the wants and needs of his true fans. And going forward, just have him answer the many questions you guys have been sending in. So if you have a question for Lance, okay, whether it's personal or you're like, you know, asking, asking for a friend, <laughs> go ahead and send that to bent at the mediator.com. From the land, to the boat, to the lake, to the sea, f***ing up the internet with your boy Lance What's up, brain farts? Today's question comes from at throwdownfishing underscore inc. He writes, Hey Lance, just the sound of your voice makes me want to beat you mercilessly. I'm curious though, what do you consider best practices for posting GIFs as comments on social media? Great question. As they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. I mean, one of my pictures is worth a thousand dollars in free tackle, but hashtag hate the player, not the game. Anyway, thanks to the magic of GIFs, not only do you have the option to post a picture as a response, you can also post an animated picture, which makes it, like, sophisticated or whatever. The critical thing to remember is that a GIF is supposed to make people think. Don't be obvious. Here's a quick quiz. Someone throws up a shot of what they consider a hog bass, like a four to five pounder. The proper GIF response would be A. Stone Cold Steve Austin chugging a gallon of milk. B. Kanye West clapping behind the words, Kanye approves. C, Mr. Bean fainting. And D, Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction saying, look at the big brains on Brad. If you answered D, Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction saying, look at the big brains on Brad, you could not be more incorrect. The answer is C, Mr. Bean fainting. 
Why? Because it leaves room for interpretation. Is Mr. Bean feigning because he's so impressed by your hog bass? Or is Mr. Bean feigning because he's sick of idiots like you ruining the internet by posting small fish that you consider big? You want the poster to lose sleep, ignore his alarm, and thus show up late for his shift at Burger King. Hashtag only whopper you'll ever see. So that's it for this week. At Throwdown Fishing Inc., I hope this lesson gave you something to think about while you're sitting around the koi pond you keep posting on your Insta stories. And remember, the only appropriate gift response to anything by the Coogan Squad is Jesus healing the sick. All right, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I am among the, the large ranks of people who lose hope in the future <laughs> of humanity every single time we bring him on the show. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Strong. That's, that's strong. I mean, maybe it's because I'm a total troglodyte and I'm terrible at social media. I'd rather read words on Hmm. dead tree skin than screens, but I I just can't find anything to like about that guy. I don't know. I I, I hear what you're saying, right? But I, I appreciate the service he provides, right? So everyone wants to know how to make it as an internet fisherman so they don't have to have a real job. You know, but the people who've done that successfully, they're not exactly giving seminars and spilling their guts. They're not telling you the secret to just being an internet fisherman. So it's kind of like, I I don't really care about Euro nymphing either, but I've had to edit many articles about it through my career because apparently other people do. So that's a fair point. And maybe Lance will become like the Tony Robbins of internet fishing. Who knows? I believe I've already once called him that. He definitely is. And anyway, look, luckily for you though, like we don't we don't keep you around for your social media prowess. So God, you're no. off the hook with that. No. We keep you around because of your deep and seemingly unending knowledge of fish species, which you are about to demonstrate in this week's edition of Fin Clips. This is the part of the show where we profile a fish species, usually one we think is more interesting than most people realize. How much do you know about American eels? If you're like most of us, probably not much. Before sushi got popular here, the only use we had for freshwater eels was impaling their young for striper bait. These days, you can get barbecued eel over sushi rice in all 50 states. And if you don't eat unagi, you're missing out. Seriously, it's delicious. Freshwater eels are also one of the coolest fish on the continent. Some people get hung up on the whole four foot long underwater snake look they have going, but don't rush to judgment until all the facts are in. I'm pretty sure Joe is going to tell me that I have it all wrong on eels. Since once again, the guy out West is trying to talk about an East coast fish. And the truth is that I've never actually caught a freshwater eel, but I have been really fascinated by them ever since I learned that they have mysterious orgies at the bottom of the Bermuda triangle. But I'll get to that later. I might stress might have hooked an American eel once. I was fishing the Kennebec River in Maine, catching cookie-cutter trout on San Juan worms when I hooked into something that was most definitely not a foot-long rainbow. It ripped downstream and had me nearly spooled before the line finally snapped. Later that night at the bar, I was having a few drinks and telling one of the locals the story about the giant trout that I would lost that day. And After hearing my details, he told me, that wasn't a trout. That was a goddamn eel. So, even though I can't prove it, I'm saying I hooked a eel once, and it kicked my ass. But getting back to the whole Bermuda Triangle orgy thing, American eels, like their European cousins, are catadromous, meaning they live their adult lives in freshwater, but spawn in the ocean, basically the exact opposite of salmon and steelhead. That makes studying their reproduction really challenging. So for thousands of years, 
people have been trying to figure out exactly where and how Atlantic eels spawn. According to the writer Lucy Cook, whose book The Truth About Animals is one you should absolutely consider reading, quote, Aristotle was obsessed with eel genitals. Way back in the 4th century BC, Aristotle was hacking away at eels in his laboratory on the Greek island of Lesbos in a fruitless search for any evidence of genitalia. Since Aristotle couldn't find their sex parts, he concluded, wrongly, that baby eels emerge fully formed from wet mud. No parentage required. Aristotle was far from the last person to invent an elaborate story to explain the genesis of infant eels. Try as they might, early naturalists could never figure out how or where eels reproduced. In the absence of real explanations, they came up with some very creative hypotheses. Eels emerge from the gills of other fishes, from the fresh morning dew during certain months, from electrical disturbances, from the thatching of roofs after a rainstorm. They reproduce by rubbing themselves against rocks and that, quote, the scrapings come to life. One medieval theory suggested that eels were the transmogrified forms of the bastard children of priests and married women fleeing persecution through shape-shifting. These go on and on. And while it's always fun to laugh at the ignorance of ancient scientists from our smug positions in the future, the truth is that we still don't know for sure how big eels make little eels. But here's what we do know, or, or what we think we know. Atlantic eels start their life as an egg no bigger than a grain of rice. These tiny eggs suspend in the depths of an underwater forest in the Saragasso Sea, the deepest, saltiest slice of the Atlantic Ocean, located smack in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. Over the next seven months to three years, they undergo two complete metamorphoses and travel 4,000 miles to the rivers of North America and Europe. Once there, they wriggle upstream and bury themselves in substrate, eating absolutely everything that gets in their way. Bugs, fish, mice, birds, whatever. Then, anywhere from 6 to 30 years later, they make the return trip back to the Sargasso, undergoing yet another metamorphosis and developing sexual organs somewhere along the way. Researchers think that once they arrive, they intertwine in giant wriggling balls of mass copulation in the darkest depths of the ocean. But no one actually knows this for sure because no eel has ever been tracked all the way to its mating grounds and no wild fertilized eggs have ever been found. But why do we care? Well, besides the fact that most people like a good mystery, eels are important fish in American history. Similar to the shad we covered in a previous episode, American eels fed both the native people and the early Europeans in North America. Although turkey probably wasn't actually part of the first Thanksgiving, eels were. Today, eel stocks are crashing, in some places by as much as 99%, due to the same things that are hurting so many other migratory fish, dams, overfishing, and pollution. If we understood eel sex, we might be able to better manage our stocks or breed them in captivity and take some of the pressure off wild fisheries. This isn't even close to the full story on freshwater eels. To learn more, including the heavily armed gangs that are running the illicit eel trade, check out the story I wrote over at TheMeatEater.com called Barroom Banter, Mysterious Eel Sex in the Bermuda Triangle. I just feel the need to, to ask, man, like, why do you always take the East Coast species for this? Like, you know... That is my turf, and yep. uh, you got, like just you know stay in your lane, man. What do you know? 
do you know about eels? You just admitted uh, that you've never caught one. Well, I know I know that they're delicious and creepy looking, and everything else I read either in books or on the internet. So the yeah. the delicious I think is debatable. Like I don't mind no. the sushi, but it's ah, it's all right. I don't know. But look, I know. I used to catch I used to catch eels fairly frequently as a kid, uh, but. It's it's weird. It's really not that common anymore. And well, I yeah. Did you listen the, to the story? They're all dying. <laughs> That's why. I think they're dying because all the Italian stallions out here uh, caught them up because I think somebody once told me eel plays a big role in their Christmas Eve dinners for people with ties to the old country. But uh, I'll tell you what, dude, I'm going to do a fin clips on grayling or West Slope East Side <laughs> yellow orange cutthroat whatever little niche species you have out there we'll see how you look it. Uh what can I say man I I am fascinated by the things I can't have like so many yeah. of us your eastern <laughs> all your eastern species seem like weirdly exotic to me even though they're hmm. totally normal to you and and you guys have you guys have legitimately cool fish man like it's not all three-eyed blinkies at nuclear wastewater outlets. So I think you should take this as a compliment and not get all annoyed about it. Well, no, it's it's a lot of those, though. I mean, I could if you, if you ever come out here and want three-eyed blinky nuclear fish, I know where to find them. Um, and, you know, maybe it's only fair since Eastern anglers have been kind of exploiting your fish for generations. You know True. what I mean? But we wouldn't do nearly as good of a job of exploiting those fish if it weren't for the fact that every, what is it, like third person? Who lives in Montana as a fishing guide? At least. I think those are the most those are the most recent stats from like yeah. 2018. <laughs> you know, and since that's the case, we have no shortage of fishy people to call when we're bored and want to ask stupid questions, which we're about to do. It is time for trivia. You got to be highly skilled for these fucking shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well versed there? Are you very smart man? Yes, I am. All right. It is that time where we get to play a trivia game. Uh, everyone's least favorite trivia game because there's nothing to win, but you're probably going to lose your dignity. Today, we are playing with our, our friend Kinsley Scott, and uh, and and I'm going to ask her a couple questions that will probably bring down everybody's IQ, but uh, hopefully we'll have a little bit of fun with it. Thanks for agreeing to do this, Kinsley. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll so you, you feeling how, good? Yes, we'll see how much I can embarrass myself. Miles wrote your questions. I don't know what they are. so He has no idea. I have no clue. Not a clue. And, and, and he doesn't get to know either. Um, for those of you who do not know, Kinsley is a guide who splits her time between Montana and Washington. So she does a lot of catching of the trouts, among other things. And she's a, she's a, a pretty damn fine steelhead guide. And so this first set of questions, or this first question, rather, Kinsley, is going to be steelhead specific. All right. So you feeling, okay. you feeling strong on your steelhead knowledge? We'll see. We will indeed. All right. So steelhead, and, and just to be clear, Joe, I'm talking about native range ocean run steelhead. I have no idea if what I'm about to say is true for Great Lakes fish. All right. I haven't probably looked not. into it. So <laughs> Whatever just, it is, probably not. Let's just clear that up right now. I'm not dogging on your fish. I'm just saying I don't know if this fits over there. I just don't know. Is Velveeta and, and, and shrimp oil eggs in your question somewhere? Well, I mean, it's a favorite bait. That is a favorite bait out here. That that's that's just is universal, really? dude. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. That crosses that crosses over. Your fancy steelhead eat that? Them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our Pacific steelhead, yeah. Yeah. Stay fancy. All right, so this this part's a fact, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about why it is. Steelhead have a higher percentage of females than males in their population. 
And I want to know why is that? I'm going to give you a few options. You got to pick one, all right? So why are there more females than males? A, well, the males are fat and they're lazy. So, Because uh, some male steelhead, they just choose to hang around in the rivers, right? Since the impulse to head out to sea can be impacted by the amount of fat in a fish's body, and male steelhead don't need as much fat reserves as females, they just don't bother. They just, uh, they just prefer to hang out on the back eddy couch eating caddis Cheetos and watching river monsters. So, so A, is that it's because they're fat and lazy. B, sometimes they're uh, a little too enthusiastic about spawning. Steelhead can migrate back out to sea after spawning, unlike Pacific salmon that all die. But the majority of steelhead never make it back to the ocean. Historically, like 25 to 70% of fish used to make it all the way back to the salt, depending on where in the world they were. But now, with the dams and habitat degradation and everything else, that number is more like 1% to 20%. But that number is even lower for male steelhead. Whereas female steelhead will only drop eggs once, some male steelhead will just keep on fertilizing until they're so utterly depleted that they can't make it back. C, male steelhead are mostly unnecessary because one male can fertilize the eggs of many different females and because resident male rainbow trout can also fertilize those eggs just as effectively as male steelhead that migrated, steelhead populations just don't need very many males to maintain healthy numbers. Or D, all of the above. All right, so your options about why there are more females than males in steelhead populations is A, males are fat and lazy. B, males are too enthusiastic about spawning. C, males are mostly unnecessary. Or D, all of the above. Whew. There's truth in all of those. Um, okay, so let me get this straight. A, they're lazy. A, they're lazy. They don't even bother migrating. Okay. B, B they're too enthusiastic about spawning. So they, uh, they essentially true. kill themselves. See, <laughs> uh, they're not that necessarily in the population anyway, so natural selection doesn't really need them. Or D, all the things are true. Oh, my gut is saying that D, because there is truth in every, every one of those. Um, like you said, rainbow trout will fertilize reds for females. Um, I'm going to go with D. You are correct. All of those things are true. <laughs> yes. Let me let me wipe the sweat from my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> you are 100% correct. Every single one of those is true. And all yeah. of those are reasons why we have more migratory females than males. All right. So you got your first question right. You should maybe relax a little bit. See how, I feel like how, I need how a drink feeling. after that. Whew. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Irish up that coffee. Uh, okay. So you, you are from Montana. I know this. Yes. And as a Montanan, you know how many just weird little creeks there are everywhere, right? Yes. And and there are some river and creek names that are just like, it's like everyone just used the same one over and over again, and they couldn't get creative about it, right? I once counted the number of willow creeks in Montana, and I now can't remember the exact number, but it was over 20. Aren't there a lot of bear creeks, oh, too? Rock, rock Creek. And Rock Creek. Oh, rock yeah. Creek. Yeah. yeah. We got them in Pennsylvania Literally too. Literally throw creeks a rock everywhere. And you'll hit a rock creek. <laughs> you'll hit a rock creek. It's true. <laughs> yeah. But then there are those ones that go the other direction, right? They're just so unique and weird that you can't forget the names. And you know there's got to be a story behind them, but you usually can't figure it out. So I'm going to read you a list of, of river and creek names. And you tell me which one is not an actual creek somewhere in the world. All right? Okay. I like this. 
In the right, world, so it, okay. In the world, yes. Oof. So is it A, Pickatooth Creek? B, Murdering Hut Creek? C, Peckerwood Creek? D, Dwarf's Kill Creek? Or E, Riviere de Jaja? You want to hear him again? Impossible. This is impossible. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I feel like the most ridiculous one has to exist because how would you? It's reverse psychology, essentially, on the question. That's a good strategy. I agree with that strategy. Yes, I need to hear him again. Is it A, Pick a Tooth Creek? B, Murdering Hut Creek? C, Peckerwood Creek? D, Dwarf's Kill Creek? Or E, Riviere de Jaja. Whoever, whoever, if that, if that truly does exist, they deserve a medal. Um, I am going to have to go with maybe one of the more generic ones in the middle. I'm going to just pick one because I can't even remember the first two. <laughs> uh, we'll go with... If she doesn't get it, let me take a shot. Okay. What was C again? C is Peckerwood Creek. I feel like that does exist. And then D was... Dwarf's Kill Creek. I'm going to go with Murder Hut B. Murdering Hut Creek B. Joe? I think the fake one is Peckerwood Creek. God, I wish that were true. You're going to win no matter what because I actually couldn't come up with a fake name nearly as good as any of the real ones. They're all real. So you win no matter (laughs) what you pick on this one. There is no wrong answer. I just had too much fun finding ridiculous creep names and putting them in there. Do you know where these these places, where they exist? Some of them are in, uh, so the last one was in in French Canada. I know that. Uh, A couple of them were Australian. Okay. One was in Pennsylvania, I believe. Okay. Uh, I can't exactly remember at this point. I should have written all that down, but I didn't. I just had too much fun coming up with those titles. But <laughs> See, I, I figure they could all yes. be real too, but I figure if he's going to stick one in, he's just going to throw out Peckerwood. I wish I but had. I, I think that's a little unfair totally because unfair. Our, trivi- our trivia segment is based on trust. <laughs> okay, And I feel betrayed. I, yeah, you won. You can't lose. This is a not lose. Not there's no way you could lose at this one. You this got them like, both. You got full like, credit. Okay. Well, then since when did trivia become t-ball, where we all get a trophy? Miles <laughs> today when I was driving, or winning this is by so 2020. Essentially, yeah, awesome. <laughs> Thanks for uh, letting us just be manipulative and and mess with your head, Kinsley. We appreciate it. Thank you. That was bullshit. Oh, come on. You cannot do that. Has the whole world gone crazy? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? You cannot do that going forward. I forbid it. I can, and I did. When you do trivia, you can write whatever (laughs) questions you want. This is our show, and we control the laws of reality in this tiny, tiny little universe of ours, except in one segment where Phil the Engineer is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all deciding. It's now time for us to genuflect and grovel at his heels in the hopes that we are the chosen one. It's time for Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. So, before we kick off Fish News, which, as a reminder, is a competition, Miles and I don't know which news stories the other feller has dredged up, uh, and a winner is declared by the infallible audio engineer of ours, Phil, at the end, 
Uh, we do like to use this space to give a fan shout out and such when appropriate, time to time. And I must say, Miles, I don't, I don't know if you've been seeing this, but I've gotten quite a few notes about Ushi figurines since your Ushi oh, yeah. story a few weeks. You got yeah, some Ushi the, the, stuff. The the Ushi story seems to have resonated. It, it appears that the folks are into that one. Yeah, and it, almost to the point where I feel like there's a lot more people actually fishing Ushis out there than we even realized when when you broke the story. <laughs> yeah. I would agree. <laughs> so I just just wanted to point out that, that that you guys love Ushies, apparently. In fact, listener Jeff Caldwell even wrote in to tell me uh, that there are Misfits Ushies available. Apparently, Is that true? No. Well, actually, I got all excited, right, because I'm a huge Misfits fan, thinking they'd go great next to my Misfits bobbleheads and um, custom commission Danzig bust I have carved out of imported Italian marble, <laughs> but actually I looked it up and that's not, that's not correct, Jeff. There are no misfits ushies that I could find. Um, so if you know something I don't, and they, they do exist, please send me the link. Uh, but quick side note, and Miles, uh, I told you about this. I just have to share it. A uh, good friend of mine, Mick Trompen, recently sent me a custom misfits popper, popper head with the, mm. with the skull. Yeah. Oh, I, I, you showed me those photos. That right. looks amazing. I put them on Instagram and freaking Doyle, Wolfgang von Frankenstein, the guitar player of the Misfits, shared my fly photo in his Instagram stories. So, I, I, twenty twenty went your, your from worst goal. year ever to best year ever, just like you, you, that. Peaked with one share. So how about that? You have peaked. Me and Doyle. Uh, so while while I'm officially having a good year now, I'll jump in and say, not long ago, the police in Wareham, Massachusetts, were having a particularly bad day, and uh, mm. I love the story of their torment. So we'll kick it off here. Here's one from the New York Times headline, Massachusetts town begs residents to stop calling about fish. Okay, which doesn't that doesn't tell <laughs> you the such whole a good headline. It's a good headline, but it's we that it doesn't really doesn't really sell it yet. So I'll read a little no. bit. I'll 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 read a little bit here. Uh some of the calls reported an injured seal. Others said they had seen a shark. Still others implored <laughs> officials to help what appeared to be a stranded fish. By early afternoon Monday, dozens of people had called emergency officials in Wareham on the southeast coast of Massachusetts. The town's department dispatched two officers to investigate. So what did they find? Well, it says they soon discovered that the odd-looking creature lolling in a cove off Buzzards Bay was no cause for alarm. It was an ocean sunfish, an enormous blob-like creature <laughs> that eats jellyfish and has a dorsal fin that, to the untrained eye, can resemble that of a shark. Now, you grew up in Hawaii, right? So probably uh, you know them as Mola Mola. Correct. Right? So th yes. And, and frankly, all the offshore dudes I run with, we always called them molas when we saw them. Um, but, really? But yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know. We, we also say mahi more, even though dolphin is more the East Coast thing. I just gravitate to the Pacific terms, apparently, me and huh? my friends. They're, so They're better. Oh, so yeah. yeah. I, I, I respect they're cooler. That. Ocean sunfish, mola mola, okay? Same thing. But, see, the calls did not stop, and the town ended up getting so frustrated that they had to uh, issue a plea on their Facebook page begging people to stop <laughs> calling, adding in the post, it is not, not in all caps, stranded or suffering, the sunfish is fine, fine in all caps. <laughs> then following that, in all caps all the way through, Please stop calling the police department about the sunfish. <laughs> and there's a there's a oh man <laughs> there's a great quote in here from the Wareham's harbor master Gary Buckminster that reads, "We get it. 
he added, referring to the concern residents had expressed. But 911 isn't a good avenue to report fish that are swimming around. That's what I was thinking this whole time. The police, like that's anybody who's animal the control knows absolutely. I, I mean, I, I I get not being familiar with how a, a particular critter reacts or you know behaves and and expressing concern. I, I I I can I can get myself there, but then that your first thought is, well, I better call the cops. Like you don't understand the function of the police department at all if that's what you do, <laughs> and, and not even the local number of the police. We're just gonna go. We're just gonna go straight to. Uh, 911. But now here's why I'm surprised, right? And this story even kind of echoes my surprise later on. And you might remember this. Back in 2015, two schmoes fishing on a boat up in Mass encountered a giant sunfish, a giant mola. And they <laughs> videoed this encounter. And it, it went super mega viral because they were so confused about what they were seeing. Uh, this is the infamous baby whale video, right? So here's a little mashup we put together as a refresher. It's a baby wheel, man. We gotta call the aquarium or something, dude. You wanna try to pull it in? Let's hook it. Jade, Jade, we can get some big money for that if it's a fish, buddy. Come on. Let's pull up next to that shit, bro. Let's help it. Uh, and and as we now know, it was not a baby whale, Jay. That nor hold a flounder. On. Hold every time I hear that, <laughs> I cannot help but crack up. Like it's it's old news now. It's been around for years, but that one still <laughs> makes me laugh. The the video never gets old. So it was not a baby whale, nor as they suggested a flounder, nor as they later suggested a tuna, <laughs> and it was not in distress nor valuable. You'd actually have gotten no money for it and possibly fined had you brought it back to the dock. But I kind of thought the world saw this video, right? Like it ended up on news channels all over. And even if the world hasn't seen this video, hasn't everyone in coastal Massachusetts seen it? You know, I uh, would think but, uh, apparently not. But I mean, hell, Jay and company spent a full seven minutes essentially answering all the questions and ruling out all the possibilities that people were flooding the local Wareham PD with. Oh God! Just last it, week, it would have been so good if the Wareham PD could have put together like a similar mashup, like what what you did, <laughs> and just played that out to people. I think that would have been a better response. Actually, I just I just am shocked that there's that you know that that I, I don't know. I will say this though. I've bumped into tons and tons of molas offshore over the year, and they are one freakishly bizarre fish. Oh, I don't they're know if very you've ever weird. Seen one in person, only they're once. Like an, only yeah, once. They're but like yeah, an, they're really weird looking. Yeah, and I think this is what happens most of the time. You see them way offshore, but every once in a while, they just sort of ride the wrong current or whatever, and they end up real tight to the beach. But they look like an evolutionary accident. Like someone was like, "Whoops, <laughs> well, screw that. Let, we'll just let it go. We'll do better when we start working on the billfish." You know, um, oh. and they're and they're just they're so clumsy and goofy. And I've always known what they were, but man, like those big old fins they got have given me and, and many a shark crew heart palpitations because they, they come up at a distance mm -hmm. way out there and you're slick and you're like, oh shit, but it's just, uh, it's just old dopey, you know, swimming and hoovering pieces of bunker chum. And you feel bad for him. I, I'm like, I feel bad for you. You're, you're weird. This is your life. But anyway, there you go. It's a sunfish, Jay. Stop calling the police. They're busy arresting your friends for throwing hands in the parking lot at the Cumberland Farms. <laughs> oh, I love that story, and it it tees it tees me up nicely because we're 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 on the subject of evolutionary accidents, and I'm just going to run with that one. And I, I'll okay. admit, I'm kind of stepping into a little bit of Joe territory here, but I just couldn't let this one go. Um, All right. And I don't know about you, man, but when I hear Isle of Wight, I immediately think of Jimi Hendrix. 
Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely, and yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I think of the posthumous album that was recorded when he played at the Isle of Wight Festival just weeks before his death. And I gotta say, that's possibly one of the best versions of Machine Gun ever laid down. Agreed, just hands down. But I have to go listen to that now. Like it's, now, it's been years. It's good. It's good. Yeah. But this next story, like, gives me just a little bit of a slight, slightly new association with the island that sits just south of the UK in the English Channel. British angler Jason Gillespie was fishing just off the Isle of Wight when he caught something unprecedented. Mm. A completely white taupe shark. Now, I got to admit, I'd never heard of a taupe shark before. Are you familiar with these? Uh, no, is the short answer. I feel like I, I've heard that name before. Unlike last week, we mentioned a gulper shark. I'm yeah. like, I don't know what the hell, but I feel like I have heard of taupe shark. That, it's a new one but, on me. They're, they're, I couldn't tell you what it looked like or anything, but... They're also called school sharks, snapper sharks, and this one kind of fits, soup fin sharks, which pretty well explains ah. why they are critically endangered. Delicious, yeah. <laughs> Tope sharks max out at about seven feet in length, and they're normally bluish gray on their backs and flanks and white on their bellies, you know, just like most sharks. The specimen that Gillespie landed, however, or Gillespie, excuse me, was a mature adult taupe shark, completely bone white. And if you look up pictures of this thing, it's 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 weird looking. It it looks a little like those creepy goblin sharks that leave, live in yeah. like the super deep oceans. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Not not the normal taupe sharks, but this version of it has like a little bit of a, the goblin shark thing going on. Gillespie was quoted as saying, "I've been fishing for thirty years and I've never seen anything like that. It's the fish of a lifetime, one in a million. He went on to say that a friend of his claimed to have caught one before. But he didn't think that albino sharks could survive into adulthood. He told the British news agency SWNS, quote, I think generally if they lose their color, they struggle to survive because they don't have the same camouflage and they can't hunt as effectively and they get picked off by predators. Biologists agree with Gillespie on this point, which is uh, why they hypothesize that the shark isn't an albino, but instead leucistic. In other words, it wasn't born without pigment, but lost its pigment throughout its life. And for reference, Joe, I'll use one of your personal icons here. Think Michael Jackson. <laughs> I was going to say, like Michael Jackson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and while that story is, is oh, interesting terrible. and it's been widely reported, I, I actually have a follow-up for it that, that popped up after I'd finished that one. And it's totally absurd. Uh, it's been a big week in albino shark news, apparently. Um before I dig into this one, I, I have to mention that I can't confirm the veracity of what I'm about to say. It comes from the sun, which isn't exactly ah. a bastion of journalistic integrity, but still, yeah. I, I just I had to do it. They report that an Indonesian vessel caught a, quote, larger shark in a net off the coast of Malaku province in Indonesia. They do not identify what kind of shark it was because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is what they found inside of the larger shark. An albino cyclops shark fetus. Yes, you, you heard that right. It's a, a baby shark with fully formed fins and body structure without any pigmentation and one crazy ass giant eyeball right above its mouth. Now, this could be about as real as the uh, the National Enquirer scoop on undead Elvis and JFK Jr. secretly hanging out at Trump rallies, but I feel Bat like boy, I just... don't forget Bat Boy. Do not forget <laughs> Bat sorry, Boy. Sorry about... Bat Boy's there, too. Uh, <laughs> but I felt like I, like I came across it, and I, I just had to include it since I, I, I apparently decided to cover the freakish shark beat this week. And, man, it's, it's creepy looking. Well, I, there was also something, because I, I thought about it for a hot second, and I didn't do it. There was also, like, a two-headed shark... Something caught recently. 
I must. I, I, had I, I seen that one, on I would there. have covered it as weird, <laughs> weird things. Maybe the sharks heard this. You know, they heard that they're on the uh, the list for for the COVID vaccine, and they're like, yes. "We're gonna, we're freaking out, man." Think that the, the, the amount of stress that they're experiencing is is causing some serious deformities. I don't know. Well, the first one though, the tope shark is still the most interesting to me. And, and oh yeah, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, anything that's an albino, regardless of species, we all know has a lesser chance of survival, right? Because it's yeah. just like sticks out like a sore thumb. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, just it's not like it never happens. You and I have both seen the albino sailfish and the albino yep. marlin. So yep. then it makes you wonder if it was so rare for them to reach adulthood, as science is saying, being stark white like that, were they or did they have the Michael Jackson thing too? This is this is a good question. Uh, it, it might be leucistic. It might be albinism. I think that just again, I'm not going to claim expertise here, but I think just in in apparently the way that that shark lives, it's it's highly migratory and lives okay. in the open ocean. So I think that that would be. It's not like it's an ambush predator. It's not like you could hide anywhere. Right. This thing lives in open ocean, and I think an albino shark migrating across massive open ocean is probably not going to do very well for very long. Yeah, just, is just, it, just my theory. <laughs> is it a deep dwelling shark too? Yes, you know, like, yes, it is. Yeah. Yep, deep water species. Because yep. I have to imagine, after a certain point, right? I, I should actually know the math of exactly how deep I mean. It would make no difference if you were an albino anymore. Well, that's why the the goblin shark is is totally like has no pigment. They can pull that off because there is no light down there. But I don't think it, it's not that deep a dweller. Well, they live right next to the what are those the cookie cutter sharks? They're scary right. too. There's so they much are. scary shit down there. Really, <laughs> we should talk. We should talk about it more. But I, well, I have one more comment just because it just it just popped into my head about the weird cyclops shark. Uh, you know, these stories pop up time to time about the sharks with two heads and this and that. Do you remember one years ago that was trout with two mouths? A I missed that trout. one. I missed that one. And you know, like when you're a kid and you you slice underneath the jaw and then stick your finger in there and like pull the tongue out and the guts out, like if you're cleaning a trout yeah. to put on a campfire. Yeah. yeah. Every which way I looked at that photo, all it looked to me is like somebody slit that and separated it and opened that little tongue tab below the chin. <laughs> but it was all over the news as a as a two mouthed two mouth trout. This, could, like, <laughs> this one could be just as real as that, for the record. I'm not claiming that this is real. It, it, it looks really creepy, and it also looks like it could be completely fake. But I, I just had to throw it in there. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. 
You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Every time I see a two-headed, two-armed, I'm, somehow I'm always skeptical of it. Um, you know, I just, I just don't take it at face value that it's real. But let me tell you what is real. Tell me. The mullet toss. You know what the mullet toss is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I have so many theories on this, but I'm not going to take up the time making up stupid, stupid shit. What, what well, do you got? What is that, it? Well, that's fine because <laughs> don't think too hard because it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Okay. <laughs> so this is some exciting news out of Orange Beach, Alabama from Fox29.com. Headline, fish will fly in rescheduled Gulf Coast event mullet toss. Now, Just I what have, it sounds like. Yes. Okay. While, I have no, while I have never attended this event, I have been aware of it, um, and it's a big deal down on the Florida-Alabama border, and it happens every year at the Florabama Lounge, which is a well-known and popular drinking establishment slash roadhouse, um, and this is right from the story. Uh, in this event, contestants throw dead fish from a point in Florida across the state line into Alabama vying for distance <laughs> records. <laughs> so as I've hinted at, don't think too hard. It is exactly uh, what it sounds like. And of course, it's mullet um, that they're throwing, which I will say for anyone unaware, mullet are, are a, a culturally significant species in that Indeed region of the country. More so than, so than anywhere else. There's mullet festivals. Yeah. You can buy smoked mullet on the side of the road and stuff like that. Uh, now, normally the mullet toss happens in April, but... Rona, Rona squashed yeah. that, right? Yeah, that's a and problem. You, you tack on a few hurricanes in that area this season, plus constantly fluctuating state restrictions on how bars could operate, if they can be open, if they can't. And the mullet toss this year kind of got sidelined. Um, but, you know, we can breathe a sigh of relief. Fish hurlers, because the event actually starts today, October 23rd, and runs all weekend. <laughs> and in case you're uh, wondering, just... I bet, just I, can we still get flights? I mean, <laughs> I bet well, we can. I was just going to say, think about what you're saying. Not only can we get them, we can fly first class for like $10. <laughs> American Airlines be- emails me daily, just like, please go somewhere. Please, we'll pick you up at your house. We'll get you a limo to come to Philly Airport. Private jet, just fly somewhere <laughs> daily. 
I have to like say like like you know it's 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 out of control. So yeah, um, we'd probably we'd, well obviously we're not going to catch today's festivities, but we could be there by Saturday night. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I believe in us. Um, and in, in in case you or anybody else is wondering, and again, I'm I'm not judging this information one way or another. It's just you know because I like to be factual and and give you all sides. Um, one of the bar's owners uh, says masks are optional. So, so there's that. Shocker. Um, yeah. And uh, same guy reminds us it's an outdoor event and it's usually breezy there. So you don't have to worry about the COVID too much. Though it does, it does leave me wondering, right? Um, this could be, we should go because this might be the, the mullet toss of the century. Records will be broken because I have to imagine you've got eight months of quarantine to just fling dead mullet around the yard. <laughs> Like you've honed your goddamn craft. If this is if this is your thing that you and and we're laughing, but you know there are certain people in this competition. Like there could be a documentary. It's like, well, everybody comes and has fun, but old Billy Jefferson, he's the mullet toss guy. So, you know, it's 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 kind of like how throughout quarantine I've magically gotten better at spinning deer hair. This could be a I, competition for the ages. All right, I have technical questions. Yeah, and and maybe you don't know the answers, but I still have them. I may it, not. Is there like a particular, is this like the shot put where you have to, you know, the, the mechanics of it are dictated in rules and, and there's only one type of tossing or can you throw these things however you want, you know, two hands over the head, underhand, throw it like a football, whatever. It's just about your distance. Like, can you get a running start? I, I, I want, there have got to be some rules around this. Okay. I, so I, I am not entirely sure about that, but I already have a feeling one or more people is going to write in after this episode <laughs> and and tell us. Though I will say, and again, pardon if I'm wrong, but I remember covering this at a magazine years ago briefly, and I think it was just like, whatever you got to do to get the mullet as far as you can go, like you may even be allowed to make a giant slingshot. Like I'm really not- Really? I, Mechanical yeah, advantage I, I, is allowed? I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know. And I should, I should have gone further into that, but- um, you know, mullet toss, which is interesting to me because mullet run, fish-wise, huge deal in the Gulf, huge deal in Florida, right? Yeah. Um, not so, I mean, we, we, we're, we just got over our mullet run here. It's just not as big a thing here because it never seems to coincide with any other fish. So it's like, oh, dude, there's mullet all over. Yeah, but the stripers aren't here yet, or this isn't here yet. So they just, it it's, doesn't have the same punch. Um, and I've never eaten it. But I've I've bought giant horse mullet at one of the seafood markets here a time or two for bait, and to me it is so pungent I I don't I don't fully get it, but I do know it's a big thing down there. I I think it's like any greasy fish if you smoke it it's good. Uh, that that's that's my understanding. I've had it in like a, a like a dip like a smoked fish dip and it was fine. okay. Um, okay. Here I I don't want to spend too much time on mullet because we're going to run out of time. But I I do I have a couple things I want to say. Mullet get a bad rap in my opinion, mm -hmm. and I know why. I have cursed many a mullet many a time because if you're fishing for other species, particularly if you're in like shallow water fishing for neurotic species and mullets show up, they do that obnoxious thing where they just jump for no reason. Yep. And they spook everything around you. Yep. And it's just, you just, you just hate them. But they strike me as one of those fish that I want to learn how to catch because they're really hard to catch, right? Because they're plankton eaters. Oh yeah, and it's so like micro hooks and uh, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I'm, it's I'm certainly weird, not versed, but it's crazy. It's the, yeah, it's the weird technical fishing rabbit hole that I could see myself going down. 
that it's it's like a species like that that's super omnipresent but really really hard to to fool is exactly the kind of thing that I can get totally lost in and stuck on. I haven't done it yet, but I, I'm not ruling it out as a possibility for my retirement. That might be what I, I do. You just see you buying a little place on a back creek dock with there's exactly. no redfish, no tarpon, nothing. no snook, nothing. Just nothing. shitload just of mullet. Just so many mullet. And you'd be happy. I would. <laughs> I would. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot off of uh, off of dead fish being flung through the air to uh, another dead fish story. Um, but to get there, I got I got I want to I want to go through a, a, a different lens. I'm curious, Joe. Were you were you a fan of the Far Side comics by Gary Larson? Were you? Did you ever get into those? Uh, I mean, I certainly know them. I've read a bunch, but to no to say I was a, a fan devoted to them, no, no. I see. I loved them as a kid. Like I really did. Like I, I we had the books, and I I read them. And, and even though you know, as a as, when I was a kid, some of them went over my head because some of them were kind of heady. Yeah, but yeah. I, I I really liked them and. Larson actually did a number of fishing-related cartoons, but the most famous of his fishing cartoons shows a couple dudes fishing from a boat on a lake, and in the background, several mushroom clouds rise from a nuclear attack, and one guy says to the other, I'll tell you what this means, Norm. No size restrictions and screw the limit, right? <laughs> and it's, it's funny, but it's, it's super dark humor, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's only funny because you don't expect that to ever happen, but... It's, it's kind of in a weird way becoming a reality this fall in Colorado, except instead of nuclear holocaust, we're talking about record drought. Okay. Right. Well, well, I was just going to say too, I mean, I, not, not entirely sure where you're going, but there were a lot of people early pandemic who had that vibe, like with like, they were like, when are there no limits and I can just go start whacking deer? Like oh, those yeah. people yeah. existed. They, they, you know they totally I mean? did. And I will just say right now, this story has nothing to do with COVID. Okay. Um, good. Yeah. None at all. Right now. We are in what's being called a mega drought. More than 45% of the lower 48 needs moisture real bad. And Colorado is getting hit particularly hard. The entire western half of the state is in extreme drought. And almost 20% of the state is in what's called exceptional drought. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not so extreme and 10 being extremely extreme, I give this a 9.5! Fish need water. But right now, there isn't enough of it to go around. Some of Colorado's many reservoirs are being drained down to the point where they cannot support fish populations. So, Colorado Parks and Wildlife have declared emergency fish salvages. Salvages mean a complete suspension of bag or size limits. Basically, it means that CPW has given up hope that fish will survive in these watersheds. And oh, instead wow. of letting, Yeah. Instead of letting those fish go to waste, they let anglers come in and take as many as they can. CPW has enacted salvages at four different reservoirs, Bar, Jumbo, Pooter Ponds, and as of last week, Wahatoya, though the salvage at Jumbo was recently rescinded, to be clear. As far as I can understand, the other ones are still going. Fish habitat is not the primary purpose of Colorado reservoirs or really any reservoir anywhere. They're owned and managed by irrigation companies. In a state that's mostly arid, reservoirs function as water catchment and retention systems. Colorado has lots of mountains. Those trap snow in the cold months. That snow then melts into rivers, but river flows are inconstant and seasonal. So reservoirs allow water managers like some insurance. They can bank water. But that insurance will only go so far, right? Like if a drought persists yeah. long enough, reservoirs get drawn down yeah. to irrigate crops and flush toilets and 
and water lawns. And I, I, I'm not going to go off on an anti-lawn rant right now. I swore I wasn't going to do it, even though I really, really want to. But just real quick, watering plots of non-native grass in arid environments because it looks pretty is way up there on the list of pointlessly destructive yet seemingly innocent stupid shit that people do. Colorado, California, Arizona, New Mexico, I am talking to you. Anyway, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you just Fishing. did it. You I'm not. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. That's it. I You're had to that do something. Guy. And you know what? And I, I even agree with you, except I don't feel like the sneers from my neighbors when my, my shit's running wild. Yeah. I, 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 I had to say something, but I just, I don't, I'm not trying to get way off, off topic. My point here, fishing is a secondary benefit of reservoirs. So when the water needs exceed the water capacity, they get drained and the fish can either die of oxygen depletion or they can be put to some good use as food. So while I find this story a bit of a bummer and perhaps a harbinger of existential threat to the future of fishing in a hotter, drier world, I give Colorado Parks and Wildlife props. Instead of ostriching their way through this, they're recognizing what's going on and doing their best to let the public harvest as much of this resource as possible. And not only that, once water levels in lakes get so low that fishing becomes unsafe, right? Because like water solo, it's just like this mud flat. You can't let people go yeah. out there. Yeah. CPW will close public access, but they go in and try to shock out whatever fish are remaining and then relocate them to healthier systems. This isn't the first time CPW has had to declare emergency salvages. In 2012, Colorado experienced a similar drought that drained some of the same reservoirs. But through restocking and management, many of those fisheries were back in great shape by 2016. This is one of those stories that forces you to think about scale in a few different ways. In the short, short term, anglers are stoked. They, they get to go fill their freezers. It's like that free-for-all pool scene in Caddyshack. In the slightly <laughs> longer term, they're going to lose some of their local fisheries, at least for a while. Those fisheries will probably bounce back in a few years. What happens after that will be dictated by temperature and precipitation and the long-term forecast out west. It's not that great. Final point to consider here, though, is that all of these are completely unnatural fisheries. They are man-made yeah. lakes stocked yeah. with non-native fish managed for entertainment and harvest, period. That's it. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it somehow makes this whole situation feel just a little less tragic to me, knowing that. Yeah, well, and a gut reaction to that could be very easily, especially if you fish one of these reservoirs. It's like, holy shit, like like the place that I love is going away. But I think the overriding message here, even though we're all fishermen, um, and you said it, reservoirs, their primary function is not to create fishing and recreation opportunities no. for people. That's not what they're there for. And nope. it is completely manufactured. It's a, it's a manufactured lake that at some point fish were stocked. And that's almost like a bonus for the outdoorsman. Lucky you if you have a, a, a reservoir that fishes really well and you have great access to. Because where I live, and, and this happens in a lot of the country, we have some reservoirs out here you can fish. Most of them you cannot. Most of the reservoirs like connected to the Newark watershed that, that feeds um, New York City, like in North Jersey especially, Oh, dude, you hear legendary stories of people like, you know, who hop the fence and, and fish this reservoir, or that reservoir. And it's like, you know, Midwest smallmouth to the 10th power, like nothing else you can find around here. But they are all under lock and key. They're 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 protected uh, because that that's New York City's water. You can't like they, it's 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 there for a purpose. <laughs> so um, I, I I understand, again, that gut reaction of like, that's horrible to lose a fishery. 
But that's these reservoirs are there for first and foremost, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a little different in certain situ- like when you're talking about water management out west, and we can't get into this because we don't have time. But there, there's a little there's some some issues there in terms of oh, irrigators having all the power. But in this particular case, when we're talking about the fish that live in the reservoirs that aren't native there. They were just really put and take fisheries. That that's a different story than the 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 perhaps native fish that live downstream of those. Sure. Anyway, lot to chew on there, Phil. Let's. Uh, <laughs> I pandered to you last week with the Pokemon story, and that didn't work. So this week I went a completely different direction, <laughs> and uh, I expect some good's going to come out of it, buddy. I thought you had the shoe in with the Pokemon too, but you did not. And now it's time to see who swayed the all-powerful Phil this week. And as soon as he's done weighing in, join us for an extremely awkward family dinner and a poke in the eye with a sharp object in our sale bin segment devoted to idiotic online classified ads. I have to be honest, this week is a little tough for me. I keep hearing you guys talking about, oh, I chose this story because I think Phil would like it. Oh, Phil likes video games. Phil likes Pokemon. Well, am I some lab rat to be to be prodded with a stick? Oh, which which stimuli does he respond to? No, no, I I am a person. I am a human being with an evolved brain. I will not be objectified and looked down upon like this. Anyway, Joe Cermelli is the winner this week because I, I like the fish flying through the air. That, that was funny. Well, why did you put the head in the paper if you don't know what I'm getting at? Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. All right, this week on the sale bin, I am running a twofer. A two-for-one special. Buy one, get one free. Because I've got two items here that are definitely worth mention, but not because of what they are, just because of the descriptions. And we've got two terrific instances here of TMI within a sale post, and I just love them. Okay. So I, I the love first... I love a bargain, man. Two for one. <laughs> Two I for love one, a bargain. What, what do you so, got for me? <laughs> the first one. I was tipped off to by my buddy, John Fedorka. So shout out to him who sent me a link to a Facebook marketplace item in Old Bridge, New Jersey. And what we have is just a surf fishing combo. The title is just Tika 10 foot six, $200 or best offer. And dude's got an old pen bait runner on it, which I assume is part of the deal. Uh, We wouldn't know though, because the description simply reads 200 OBO. I don't fish anymore because my dad is a jerk. (laughs) <laughs> so there's that uh, i and feel I, like this guy I, needs a, a little bit of a marketing 101 class for the for the life of me i can't figure out why you felt the need to include that information <laughs> no in the idea. sale description he's like well i don't want people to think that there's something wrong with the item so yeah, i better tell him that i jerk. hate my father i just hope it's all resolved by thanksgiving you know, I do that too. or, or I do too. considering Thanksgiving is a huge striper weekend, you know, his dad will show up talking about the blitz. He fished all morning, like sleeping beauty over here. Couldn't get his ass up again. Like it could be really ugly. <laughs> Good too. He's like, you know what, dad, <laughs> I sold that present you gave me on Craigslist. <laughs> so that's one uh, rod for sale because dad is a jerk. And uh, we're going to move on here to double our pleasure today. 
This one is on Facebook Marketplace in Rumson, Rhode Island. And the title of the post is Giant Fish $100. And we have a very nice sailfish replica. And tell you what, 100 bucks ain't bad. Yeah. 100 bucks for a big sailfish like that, not bad. If it was around the corner, I'm I might, looking at I this photo. It. it looks like a decent mount. It looks so, like a decent fish. I'm so 100 to catch bucks, you guys, maybe so. <laughs> to catch you guys up, I only sent Miles the photo of this. I do you, not have you, the description. You do, nope. you do not know why it's funny yet. Um, <laughs> however, in the photo, right, there are two chairs under the sailfish. And if you were to sit in either of them, your head would hit the sailfish. Correct. And the ceiling is, I don't know, maybe five inches away from the highest point of the dorsal fin. Uh, and so to my eye, if I were a betting man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess the sailfish is hanging in a mobile home. Okay. And my suspicion is bolstered by this description. If you don't have an eight foot sailfish hanging in your home, you don't know what you're missing. We normally keep a tennis ball on its bill to avoid serious (laughs) eye injuries. (laughs) So wherever this is hanging, there's not really enough room for it to be hanging. And I, I could not help myself with this one. And I pinged the seller and I just said, uh, does the tennis ball come with the fish? I'm interested, but I've got serious safety concerns. <laughs> and she wrote me back and just said, I will gladly affix the tennis ball to assuage any fears. Would you prefer a tennis ball with a squeaker? So she gave me a little, like it would have been tennis ball with a squeaker asshole, like would have made it even funnier. <laughs> but she, So she gave me a little shit back. Uh, yep, she did. So good for her. But like, if you're so proud of your sailfish mount, but it's hanging in a place where like it could take your eye out. I just, that's, that's very funny. I feel like there's a domestic <laughs> dispute behind this one. And not, not, I don't mean in the violent or terrible way. I mean, like in a, uh, we have a small home and you brought this into it and someone lost an eye or nearly did. It's got to go. It's, it is highly likely because my home is not that small. And I'm looking at an eight foot tarpon on my wall that has been around for, 12 years now, and it's still a domestic dispute, even though it's in my office. If my wife had her way, that would have never been in the home. So very highly likely. But that is your two for for this week, two for one special. Remember, we need your help in finding awesome sale bin items. You guys have been doing a killer job of sending those in and tipping us off. Keep those coming to bent at the meat eater.com. I just kind of want to reach out and do an intervention with that guy who hates his dad. <laughs> you know, like maybe, maybe invite him down to the beach, toss out some surf rods, moderate a little <laughs> toss the old pigskin around, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, model healthy communication. Use, use fishing yeah. to bring families together. It could be like the anti-politics. And I, I know you want to think that's possible, but really, I it do. probably isn't, man. It probably is. Side note, though, I actually used to own the exact rod that he's selling, and it's a total piece of shit. <laughs> the particular TK he's selling was in my high school senior age price range, like at 60 bucks. Uh-huh. But somehow it still came with a lifetime warranty, and five times in two years, I sent it back, snapped, for no particular, it would just it would just randomly break like mid fling. You just be throwing a plug and it would just snap. But um, dude, I mean that's how you learn. That's how you come to appreciate good gear and and learn what to avoid. But it sucks having to do it through you know repeated frustrating trial and error like that. That's true. That 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 is a frustrating part about fishing. But one way to help yourself out in that process, at least when it comes to lures, flies, and baits, is to listen to our weekly end of the line segment because you know. 
we're never wrong. <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> this week, Joe's going to tell you about a fly that an idiot can tie, but really smart fish will eat. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. The Flashtail Whistler was designed by legendary fly angler, writer, and photographer Dan Blanton in the late 1960s, early 1970s time frame. Now, just to rattle off a few of Blanton's achievements, he received the Federation of Fly Fishers Lifetime Membership Award for Outstanding Achievements in Fly Fishing in 1990, the Silver King Award for Contributions in Saltwater Fly Fishing in 1995, and in 2009, he was inducted into the Catskill Fly Fishing Center and Museum Hall of Fame. Now, according to the internet, where everything is true, Blanton originally designed the Whistler to target striped bass in the San Francisco Bay Area, and the goal was to create a fly that mimicked a popular bucktail jig in the water. To achieve this, Blanton used a short shank hook, which allowed all the bucktail extended past the bend to have a more fluid action in the water. And he also added lead wraps to the hook so the fly would fall nose down, while the buoyant bucktail trapped air and lifted the tail further enhancing that bucktail jig style action. As I understand it, it wasn't until just a little bit later that Blanton tweaked the pattern, extending the trailing flash material well past the bucktail, that we landed on the most common iteration of the flashtail whistler, which is still widely available today. And in case you didn't catch it, that also means the pattern hasn't really changed again in 50 years. Now, of course, since fly tires love to tinker and can never leave well enough alone, you can find whistlers incorporating modern synthetics and tied on a variety of hooks. But today, we're talking about the OG whistler. The classic flashtail whistler features a set of lighter bead chain eyes. And behind them, there's a collar of schlappen feather, usually red, to simulate gills, which fades into white or yellow bucktail. Down each side, you'll find a single grizzly hackle feather, and then that long tail of tinsel flash extending way out the back. We live in a streamer-obsessed world, and sometimes I think the mark of a good streamer these days is related to how much skill and effort it takes to tie it. But it takes very little effort to tie a flash tail whistler. Matter of fact, anyone who got themselves a basic tying kit for Christmas can knock one of these out. While the whistler is hailed first and foremost as a salty pattern for everything from tarpon to snook to stripers, I got woke to its powers thousands of miles from where any of those fish live. It was on a pike trip in Saskatchewan on the Cree River system, and the trip was sponsored by Cabela's, which meant that every angler was giving one of their conveniently prepackaged pike fly sets. Now, like many serious anglers, I scoffed at this, right? Like, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. But I doubt I'll be dipping into this little starter pack of basic deceivers and loosely packed hair bugs. Right. I mean, I brought five boxes loaded down with eight to 10 inch Buford head monsters, man, works of art. I've been crafting for months, streamers with more material than all those kit flies combined. And it was around lunchtime on day one that my good buddy Ben Romans tied on the flash tail whistler from his courtesy Cabela's kit. Not for the record that the gym socks we were heaving weren't catching fish. No, no, quite the opposite. We'd been reefing on high 30 inch pike all morning. Ben just wanted to throw something a little less taxing for a while. And within 15 casts, that slender little flash tail got wolfed by a 46-inch northern. And we thought, well, this is a fluke. This can't be right. But it was. 
By the end of the trip, five of the six 40-plus-inch fish we put in the net ate a flashtail whistler. So effective was this fly that we even pillaged all the flashtails from everyone else's box. And all that remained of them by the time we got on the seaplane to depart were five short shank hooks with bead chain eyes and tattered red slapping collars. Now, I've caught countless pike, as well as mahi-mahi, lake trout, stripers, and jack creval on flashtails since that trip many years ago. And it's a pattern that's always with me now on large predator missions. Even if it's not what I tie on first, it has proven to be a great insurance policy when all those sexy Instagram photo-worthy meat flies aren't getting it done for one reason or another. The Flashtail Whistler is a testament to the idea that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And you need not go broke to buy all the materials you need to make a fly that appeals to all the big nasties out there. Man, I tied a lot of whistlers sitting in my weatherport tent in Alaska. They caught, yeah? I mean, they caught salmon, trout, pike, grayling, pretty much everything that, that swam in that river. And best of all, mm-hmm. I could bust out a dozen of those things after a full day of guiding, cleaning boats, doing chores, serving dinner, and washing dishes, even when I was exhausted and half drunk. Like, I could just get them done. <laughs> the half drunk is key because that makes it a guide fly. <laughs> exactly. If you can tie the fly. <laughs> pretty Exa- shit-faced then then i then i consider it a guide fly absolutely <laughs> anyway that brings us to the end of this week's episode and for those of you outlining a book report for english class miles is officially old mm-hmm. okay he can also tie a flashtail whistler totally drunk aristotle was obsessed with eel junk and australians have some crazy ass names for creeks if you're planning to turn that uh heady knowledge in for credit all we ask is proper citation Give us some stars wherever you listen to our podcast. Holler at some friends. Write us a review or an email. We promise we will not grade on grammar or punctuation. No, we will not. And yes, keep those emails coming to bent at themeateater.com. We read and appreciate every single one of them. And remember, if you hook a big one, don't be like Miles. Sacrifice your body for the glory. Sacrifice it for the gram. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.